Good morning, beloved. Saints in the Lord. My name is Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And it dawned on me that I should let you know I'm also one of the members of the counseling team that we have here at New Hope Chapel. You may not have known we have a counseling team, but we do. So you can see me, or there's some other people I could refer you to if you're sick of hearing from me. <laughs> so, uh, after that time of worship, uh, it's almost embarrassing to think I would have something to come up here and say to you that could be more, more of a blessing than that, but that was a wonderful time of worship for all of us. We're going to continue in our study, as David said, of Isaiah 9-6, today looking at Everlasting Father. So we're continuing our Advent, Advent chore, exploring those four names or titles that are given to a child that will be born to us. So let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we come before you to sit at your feet to hear from your word. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear you, to feel you, to receive you. And so, Father, I choose to stand aside. I've done all that I can do to prepare. I stand before you as a willing vessel who's not able, except that you would empower me to speak the words that you wish us to hear. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, <clears throat> like last week, I only have two points. The first point is we're going to explore, is Jesus also the Father, or was he just like a father to us? And the second is, if he is some kind of father, what can we expect with respect to how he will treat us or interact with us and how we would interact with him? So again, Isaiah 9.6 says, and this is the King James Version, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a, child, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now in the New International Version it reads, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I share these two translations because it highlights two possibilities about this child. The King James translation, besides giving the child five titles by separating Wonderful and Counselor, also adds the article, The, before Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. For a time, we lived in Columbus, Ohio, and if you've ever been in Ohio, whenever you refer to OSU, it's called the Ohio State University, not Ohio State University. Some of you know about that, right? It's the. To be differentiated from any other universities that might happen to reside in Ohio, it's almost as though it's the only one. So the King James translation is also, in a sense, a hermeneutic or an interpretation, proclaiming Jesus to also be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The NIV, on the other hand, leaves room for different interpretations, which could be, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The NIV translation is not already equating this child with God or the Father. It's not saying the child is not God or not the Father, it's just saying the child will be called those names or titles. So there are two possibilities, actually three, if 
you took the Hebrew position I talked about last week that they feel that Isaiah 9.6 is talking about Hezekiah and only Hezekiah. But the two possibilities that we're faced with is that this child, who we think or believe is Jesus, was or is the father, or this child will become like a father to many children. As I explained last Sunday, we can't stay in Isaiah or even the Old, Old Testament to find an answer, but rather we'll need to look at the New Testament. And unfortunately, we will find some seeming contradictions, and I emphasize seeming, as we look for evidence in the New Testament to uncover which is it. Is Jesus also the Father, or, Jesus, or is Jesus like a father? Now, one of our challenges in searching Scripture is we are strapped with our Western way of thinking as we try to understand things written from an Eastern perspective. In the West, we are trained to think either or. Things are black or they're white. It's either this way or that way. It's true or it's not true. It can't be both. We tend to think in a linear fashion or in polarities. If A is true and B is the opposite of A, then B must be false. In the East where Jesus and the disciples were from. I like to remind us of that sometimes. (laughs) He wasn't born in Los Angeles. In the East, they tend to use more circular thinking. Instead of an either-or mentality, they use a both-and mentality. Things aren't black or white, but gray. Or they're related. Things can be both ways. If A is true and B appears to be the opposite of A, then let's combine A and B to see if we can get a new truth to uncover. Things don't have to be mutually exclusive in Eastern thought. Years ago, I was facilitating a negotiation between a guy from Japan, the Far East, and a guy from Switzerland. At the end, the Swiss guy says to the Japanese guy, so we agree we're going to do this, this, and this. We agree? And the Japanese gentleman says, "Ah, yes, agree, Uh, maybe disagree. And the Swiss guy is like, what? And he says, so we're going to do A, B, C, and D, right? And he says, yes, agree, maybe disagree. So in the third, and we had this videotaped. And the third time he says, we're going to do this, 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 and this, right? The Japanese guy says, yes, agree. Before he could say maybe disagree, the Swiss guy goes. <laughs> so the Japanese guy's like, uh, maybe disagree. <laughs> it was hard for the Swiss guy to get that Eastern thinking that, yes, I agree, and I might disagree. It, it could be both of those. So... When we ask someone from an Eastern way of thinking, is Jesus also the Father or is he not? Which is it? The answer could be yes, which wouldn't satisfy us, would it? The Scripture isn't crystal clear on this issue. I've thought about why this is the case. I've thought about this for many years. And I think as the more complex or sophisticated a construct, the more time it takes to explain that construct. And even then, the explanation won't be completely explained, nor will it be completely understood. We might as well ask a physicist to provide us a comprehensive explanation of how gravity interacts with time and space and how that relates to string theory, and could you keep it to one page, double-spaced? The answer would be no. But I think maybe someone asked God to give us an explanation of who he is. And keep it short and as succinct as possible. And God said, okay, here's the brief version that's, his, that's what I got for you. And even then, that seems overwhelming. So the more we read the scriptures, the more we understand about God, and we learn two things. We learn a lot about God, and we also learn that we know very little about God. It's that explanation 
like in Narnia that David brought up last week in Sunday school, when Lucy sees Aslan the lion again, and he, he says, you look bigger. C.S. Lewis uses this imagery to illustrate the more we get to know God, the more there is to know. It was in his seventh and final book that he began to make clear the relationship between Narnia and heaven. And he says, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. Lucy looked hard at the garden and saw it was really not a garden at all, but a whole world with its own rivers and woods and sea and mountains. But they were not strange. She knew them all. I see, she said. This is still Narnia and more real and more beautiful than the Narnia down below. I see world within world, Narnia within Narnia. Yes, said Mr. Tumnus, like an onion, except that as you continue to go in and in each circle, is larger than the last. So in our system of education, we strive to figure things out. We have as an unstated goal to know everything about a concept. That's why we specialize. In college, people are asked to declare majors. Craftsmen will specialize in wood or machinery or electricity. Doctors specialize in the heart or the lungs or the joints. At some point, we're going to have a doctor who specializes in the pinky on the left hand only. That's all that doctor will do. And so when we attempt to study God that way, we make the mistake of thinking we have everything figured out. We know all about God. And just when we think we figured God out, if we're open and we're honest, we realize we know practically nothing about him, and yet we know so much. The further into God's house you go, the bigger it gets. The inside is much bigger than the outside. So you're probably sitting there wondering, well, which is it, Bill? Are you going to take the position Jesus is also the Father, or are you going to teach us Jesus is not the Father, but will only be like a Father to us? Well, I think the answer is yes. But I think there's a better question, which I'll get to later, so you have to stay for the rest of it. But let's first be open and seeking about this issue and willing to deal with things in Scripture that at first glance don't seem to support what our preconceived notion might be. So the first is, did Jesus ever claim to actually be the Father? I'm sure some passages come right to your mind, and it's probably John 10.30 or John 14.9. It was interesting to hear the different people speaking this morning, the song sung, I'm like, a lot of my sermons already, that just confirms for me, God wants us to hear some of these passages again. In John 10, Jesus is saying, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one? I wonder what he meant by that. Well, I know that what the Pharisees thought he meant, because as we talked last week, what did they do when he said that? They picked up stones to throw at him. After the service last week, uh, Kateri came up to me to share with me an interesting observation. The the, the two times he said, I am, but he said it a third time in John 18 when the soldiers from the Pharisees came up to arrest Jesus and he asked who they were looking for. And he replied, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Whereas twice before when he used the name I am, they picked up stones to kill him. This time when he called himself I am, he picked them up and threw them to the stones. So Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He could be saying they're the same person. He could also be saying they are of the same mind or nature or essence. Much like we sometimes say of another person, we're we're of the same mind, we're two peas in a pod. We make a bit of a leap, but not much of a leap, to use this verse to support the position that Jesus is also the Father. I make that leap easily. He is, however, revealing something about what we call the Godhead. He is revealing something to us that he wants us to understand. He's definitely saying he and the Father are essentially one, or one in essence, or nature. At this point, we might start to devolve into the study of the Trinity doctrine, which I don't want to do today. Those who oppose the idea that Jesus was or is deity use this same verse to show that Jesus was talking about being one with God in terms of mission or purpose, not about the idea of Jesus being equal with God in any way. We can also look at John 14. Jesus was comforting his disciples, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going to there, there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you all this time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Well, that seems to nail it right there, doesn't it? I am in the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But then we go back to John 1.18 and we read, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. And again in John 6.46 it says, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Now, if my grandson Liam Clement was here, he would say, wait. Anytime you say anything, wait, wait, hold up, I've got to figure this out. He would say, wait, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, but if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father? It's going to sound confusing. Remember, we, last week we looked at Paul's description in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. You see, God cannot be seen, as we read in 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God, and as God has explained himself to Moses in Exodus 33, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Years ago, back in my Air Force days, I worked in 
what was called Tactical Air Command, or the fighter pilot world. It was commanded by a four-star general, General Creech. He was considered by all to be the most powerful general in the Air Force, even though there were other four-stars, they always acknowledged him as the most powerful. He directed a sweeping initiative across his command, and he felt this was so important, he intended to personally visit all of his Air Force bases to personally deliver this message. However, Mrs. Creech was also a very powerful person, and she was protective of her husband's health, and she said, no, you're not going to make those trips. So he empowered one of his colonels, four levels below him, to represent him and travel to each base to deliver his message. So at every base, everybody gathered in the base theater. So every Air Force base that starts with a golf course and a movie theater, then we build a runway. So we were gathered at our base theater. Everybody was there who could get in there. Sitting in the front row of that theater were all the generals who were at that base, one, two, and three stars. And so when the colonel walks out, he greets us. And then he says, I know you see colonel's rank on my shoulders, and my name tag reads Reynolds. But for the duration of this presentation, I need you to see four stars on my shoulders, and the name tag reads Creech. Then he looked at the front row, and he said, does anybody here have a problem with that? (laughs) These are people that all outranked him. And they all smiled and went, you're General Creech. You don't look like him, you have different rank, but if you say you're General Creech, you probably have his permission to say that. And then he moved on. They were all fine with it. Of course, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it comes close. The colonel was the visible representation of the invisible general. Whatever the colonel said, it was as though it was the general saying it. However, the colonel was not the general, but he was. In case I've lost you, which I think is a gift I have of losing people when I'm speaking, I've not made a case that Jesus is the Father, nor have I made a case that Jesus wasn't the the Father. I wasn't born yesterday, though. I can easily see this has been and will continue to be an area of debate, and therefore divisive. And I tend to keep away from those situations. I'll let the theologians battle that out. And when they're done, I'll just love on them. Because that's what Jesus, our heavenly, eternal Father, told us to do. You see, if we look for other places where Jesus differentiated himself from the Father as the Son, we find more than two verses. We find lots and lots of verses where Jesus referred to himself as different from or differentiated from the Father in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly, of the Father. On that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. To the writer in Romans, to the Romans says, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This relationship between the Father and the Son seems to be at a level of intimacy, of oneness, of connectedness and interconnectedness that is beyond our comprehension. 
However, it also appears to be very extremely important to Jesus for us to have insight into what he enjoys with the Father. It's almost as though Jesus wants us to learn to become like that with each other. We read in John 17 this prayer that Jesus makes on our behalf. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Read that prayer in John 17. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. As I said earlier, though, I think we're asking the wrong question when we ask, is Jesus the Father or is he not just represent The question I would prefer to address is this. Whether Jesus was the Father or not, will he still treat us the way the Father would treat us? So regardless of whether Jesus is also the Father, even if he isn't the Father, although I believe he is, Jesus is our Savior. There's no arguing or debating of that. We belong to him. The Father gave us to Jesus, and no one can snatch us from his hand. Therefore, Jesus is our Father and will treat us as his children. Now, you may and should ask, well, what does that mean then? Well, let's start with what we know about earthly fathers. Now, before you start thinking about your own earthly father, that might not be a good comparison. I'm sure there are some of the earthly fathers represented by the people in this room that would fall on some spectrum from pretty good to pretty awful. None were or are perfect, including me. Josh is like, yeah, that's true. So so where can we get a picture of what a perfect father looks like so we can know more about how Jesus is and will be treating us? So let's look at the father. And since we are created in God's image, I want to ask the fathers in this room some questions. I'm not saying they're more important than mothers, but I want to talk to the fathers in this room to show you something. It might be a bit of a revelation to the mothers in this room. Dad, remember when your wife was pregnant with your first child? Didn't you sometimes wonder what she must be experiencing? And you sometimes felt left out as all those other things were going on. Remember that? And then your child was born and you started to feel overwhelmed like you witnessed a miracle, even though you knew that millions and billions of babies had been born in history before this time, but for some reason, this was a miracle to you. And then a few minutes later, a dread came over you as you began to worry if you had what it takes to provide for this little person. Remember when they handed the baby to you and you weren't even sure how to hold it and you got scared? and you were worried you might break it? And then she opened her eyes, and she looked deep into your soul. And your heart exploded with love, a love you didn't even know existed. And you realized that although you would never hurt another human being, you would all of a sudden be willing and able to kill any person who tried to harm her. Or that you would run into a burning house to save her. Remember realizing you would exchange your life for hers without hesitation. Well, that's the way a good father feels and thinks and acts. 
In Psalm 91, we read, Whoever goes to the Lord for safety, whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty, can say to him, You are my defender and protector. You are my God. In you, I trust. He will keep you safe from all hidden dangers and from all deadly diseases. He will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. His faithfulness will protect and defend you. And in John 10, as David just read earlier, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how Jesus is towards you. Because he's just like his father. And he does what his father does. Do you remember how many times you slipped into the nursery just to watch this little baby breathe while he slept? When did breathing become more important than football? But you did it. Your eternal father, Jesus, watches you breathe all night long. It's one of his favorite things to do. In Psalm 121, we read, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. And in Matthew 10 or Luke 12, we read, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. See, I think he counts the hairs on your head every night while you're asleep. Some of us have made that job a little easier, but I'm not going to talk about Gary now. (laughs) That's what he does. To him, he watches you and gazes you while you're sleeping with an adoring smile. To him, you are a vision of loveliness. That's our eternal father, Jesus. And dads, remember when your child was born and began to take work more seriously? You began to concern yourself with promotion and growing your business so she could have new clothes. Perhaps you took a second job just to be sure this child you created could have everything he needed or wanted. You even began to deny yourself some of the things you wanted just so your children could have what they needed. Your role as provider took on new meaning, and you were happy to do it. In Philippians 4.19, we read, My God will meet all of your needs, but not our greeds according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 10.3, we read, The Lord will not allow a righteous person to starve. In Matthew 6, it's echoed, Don't worry and say, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? The people who don't know God, keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows you need them. That's the way a good father feels and acts. That's how our eternal Father Jesus is towards us. And men, remember as your child grew, you wanted to teach them how to walk and talk and how to read and write, how to interact with others, how to live. Maybe you sat down next to them alongside them to help with their homework. A good father is a teacher. In John 13, we read, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And what do we read in 1 John 2.27? As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. 
And the only reason we have this anointing is because our eternal Father Jesus made it possible for he and his Father to dwell in us by sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And finally, fathers, have you ever noticed these new profound feelings of love and care and teaching and protection and provision seem to only extend to your children? You don't have those same feelings towards other people's children. Why is that? Why is it you only love your children? Well, that's because those children are yours. Those other children didn't come from you. You love your children simply because they're yours. And now you know why God loves you. Because you are his. It seems to be there's something of God stamped into us. That just like him, we love our children simply because they're our children. Another part of the prayer in John 17, Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, they, now, that they, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Do you see now? For unto us a child was born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Eternal Father, for we came from his Father, and his Father has given us to Jesus his Son, our Eternal Father. So are you worried? Are you fearful? Are you lonely? Don't be. Remember who your father is, and go to him. Our daddy is stronger than all the other daddies. Remember when we used to say that when we were kids? <laughs> well, now we can say it as adults, and it's really true. In Christ. He will provide for all of your needs. He will protect you from all threats. He is always with you day and night. He watches you while, you're, while you sleep. He counts the hairs on your head, and he kisses you on the cheek. Deep within him is a love he has just for you and for you only. And as Kateri said, it cannot be measured, it cannot be described. So take comfort in knowing your eternal father is Jesus. Grab hold of joy, knowing he came to rescue you. Look to him and you will see him all around you. Listen for his voice because he is always talking to you. And when you talk to him, remember him by his names, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful, Lord, that you are beyond our comprehension and understanding. But everything we learn about you is good and true and just and encouraging and thrilling. We pray that you would impress upon our minds and our hearts who you really are and who you are towards us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.